Named after the mechanism that separates the sweet wort from the spent grains, False Bottom Girls features two beer experts filtering through the brewing industry to guide listeners through the wonderful, yet sometimes confusing, world of beer. Hi, my name is Rachel Hudson. I'm the co-owner and head brewer of Pilot Brewing in Charlotte, North Carolina, and an advanced Cicerone. Hi, I'm Jen Blair. I'm the beer program coordinator with New Realm Brewing in Atlanta, Georgia, and I am also an advanced Cicerone. Welcome everyone to this episode. So we've, um, we're recording two in a day, so we have to remember to actually start the episode because we just start talking. <laughs> Got it, that. And forget to say, you're listening to False Bottom Girls. We make the brewing world go round. Woo, woo. So uh, today, this is a bit of a sore spot for me that we're talking mm-hmm. about, which is why we're having this episode um, and we've, we sort of addressed, well, I shouldn't say sort of, we did a two part series on troubleshooting and Definitely. troubleshooting your beer. Um, but one thing that we, I, I don't remember if we talked about it or not, but basically what yeah. we're talking about today is kind of how to fix your beer or what steps do you take when you have a beer that turns out the way, not the way you intended yeah. it. To, which as brewers, as home brewers, as pro brewers, it has happened to everybody. And it's, you know, it's frustrating when it happens. And I know I have the, I've seen the memes about like, you know, like former gifted kid memes where it's like you're a former gifted kid when if you're not immediately good at something, you just <laughs> give up on it. Yeah. Um, and I definitely have that. So as a home brewer, I tend to brew you know, a recipe once. And like, if I like it, I'll probably brew it again. I have a handful of recipes that I I brew a few times. Like I have a barley wine and double IPA that I've got the recipe nailed down, you know, and, Mm -hmm. uh, and it's a way that it turns out the way that I like. But if I try some other recipes and they don't turn out, I don't always go back to try to figure out what went wrong or like dial it in. And um, I, I have done that on, Again, like the double IPA, barley wine. Those are beers that I like to drink that I, you know, I, I brew and maybe I'll change up the hops or something like that. Um, so what's happened to me recently is I brewed a Grzycki. So that is a historical style. It's a Polish style that is traditionally made with 100% oak smoked wheat. So it's, you know, it's kind of a, a smash beer because you're using 100% oak smoked wheat and then typically just, you know, the same hop, like some sort of dual purpose hop, uh, because the, the overall quality of the beer should be refreshing with a light smoke um, and, uh, you know, a dry, dry finish sort of bitter, but generally just a refreshing wheat beer with smoke in it. So I have used, I used an oak smoked wheat from a different uh, supplier than what I have used before. Mm-hmm. And it came out just entirely too smoky. It, um, so, but it's a hundred percent smoked beer. Yes. Yeah. So it's the malt you think Correct. it's, it's been yes. too much. Right. Exactly. So the issue is that the, the wheat has too much, too now, high of a smoke flavor. Do you think that is the maltster accidentally made too much, like smoked it too much, or that is the, the way they do it? I think that that is, 
I'm not sure. It's not yeah. a conversation I've had with the maltster. It's a conversation that I can have with the maltster. Yeah. Um, and I, I'll talk about that in a second. But I think that it is the way they make it. Yeah. And it's the the point of it is to be more of uh, it is a historical style. And so it's not it's not a farmhouse style. But I think yeah. the point of the product of the malt product or the wheat product is to be more of a historic rustic. It's not. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah rustic yeah. is a perfect way to say that. So I just um, want to bring up Jen has brewed this style of beer at Pilot Brewing with Weyermann. Right. Smoked oat wheat. And it was delicious. It actually won an award. Yes. Um, so yes. don't be deterred. Like. This is a specific malt problem. This isn't like a f- off flavor problem. This isn't something she did. This is just the ingredients she had. Right. Yeah. And uh, and don't and don't be deterred from trying trying new products from people. Yeah, sure, either. definitely. Yeah. Um, so and I can get why it's hard. You spend all that time fermenting, and you got to drink the beer. Um, right. And to be clear, I don't think it's a bad beer. I, as, if you've been around me for more than five seconds, yeah, I was gonna you say, know how much I love smoked beer. <laughs> so it's not too <laughs> smoky for me. And actually, I had brewed it in part for a homebrew competition. So what I ended up doing was just changing the category that I had it in uh, because it didn't fit. the. Mm-hmm. To me, it didn't fit the Grigetsky anymore because the smoke character i liked it and i it's not a flawed beer it just didn't it turned out with more smoke than i was intending and i think it turned out with more smoke than the style so if i'm looking at the guidelines and i have this beer i think there's too much smoke in the beer so i just changed it to a a smoked american wheat and it fits in that category just fine too also my abv turned out a little bit higher to technically bump it out of the Grigetsky category if somebody can tell me they can taste the difference between like a 3.9 and a 4.2 fuck you no you can't you can't this is the perfect example of paying attention to your category when you enter beer Mm -hmm. you're like okay i meant for this to be a a, a Grigetsky like in this style in this category but it's not so let me change that like you don't need to like still enter it like change it even if you've already sent your beer That's like one just, way to fix your beer. It's yeah. just call it something different. I've done that. Like we had a couple batches that they were brewing a um they're they're trying to brew red ales and they kept putting in some roasted barley, but we didn't realize to maybe after like the second batch, the re- SRM and the program was way less than the actual what we had. So they were getting brown ales, basically. It's right. like so we would just put them on the board as brown ales. And like, you know, th- there's nothing like wrong with the beer per se it was just not what we expected so right. that's one example you have to determine if your beer is even fixable like right right and all, a certain off flavor you can't i mean there's some that you just don't get rid of and right and so with this beer and this was something that rachel and i had spoken about um, before we started recording that i was like okay we need to put a pin in this because i want i definitely want to talk about this is as a manufacturer of this product, it's very important for, you know, for maltsters, for, you know, hop, I almost said hopsters, um, <laughs> to put the recommended usage yes. 
make that available because I, and this is not me. Like I'm, I, I do not mean at all for this to sound like I'm blaming anybody because I'm, I'm not the beer turned out perfectly fine. It just didn't turn out exactly how I expected. And I didn't yeah. going into it. I wasn't sure it was going to turn out. And now I know, yeah. and now I know that I can adjust it and how I can adjust it. But, you know, I had used a hundred percent of it because I looked on the website and it said, this is for Grzycki. Yeah. And I know how to brew a Grzycki. I know how to brew an award-winning Grzycki. So I, I know what, what that means. Like that's Mm -hmm. meaningful to me. And if it, there's not something on there that says, you know, maybe not more than 60% of your recipe or something like that, then that's how I would adjust accordingly. And I actually spoke with a maltster yesterday about some malt that he sent and it is a base malt. Um, It's a super cool malt that I'm excited to be able to to talk about, but I said, okay, if I remember correctly, you, you recommend no more than 50% of usage for this. And he was like, actually, you know, we've had a few more people brew with it and it's really probably like 35 to 45% is where that sweet spot is to make the flavor come out. It has a very distinctive flavor. So to make that flavor really shine, it's around there. And I was like, okay, great. Because I already had my recipe made. I had it at 50%. So now I know that I just need to adjust it downward um, to maybe like 40%. So as manufacturers, and then also as consumers, it's important for us to check to see if the, um, you know, if that recommended usage, recommended percentage is made available. And if you were producing something and you, you don't think it should be a hundred percent, tell people that because that's, mm-hmm. you know, that, and that again, and like you asked, I think that's a very insightful question that you asked at the beginning. Is it, did they do it wrong or is this what they intended? I think mm-hmm. it is what they intended. And I am very rigid and want to be within the guidelines I'm brewing to be. Yeah. A and they style. might need, they might need that feedback to be like, Ooh, maybe we should cut down five minutes off the smoking time. Right. Exactly. You know, like, yes. Yeah. And so that's, not, that's definitely a conversation, perfect. right. Yeah. Definitely a conversation and feedback um, that I'm going to give them is just, yeah. Hey, this is just a little bit too smoky. It also ended up being for me, the darkest Grzycki or an American wheat can be is six SRM. If I'm being honest, I would put this at probably like an eight. I think if somebody, if you held it up to an SRM chart and kind of squinted, you could be like, yeah, "Yeah, maybe that's a six, but it's, you know, so that's kind of like, there's, there's two things that kind of ding it for, if you're saying it's for the specific beer, the color is going to end up too dark. If you use a hundred percent, it's going to end up too smoky. Uh, but that, again, that's when I texted Rachel because we were talking about what kinds of topics we should we should be planning on. And I was like, let's talk about how you fix your beer because this beer did not turn out the way that I intended. Um, I, I just changed the name of it. And if I brewed it again, I mean, I guess what I would do is just use a lower percentage of the smoked wheat and maybe just supplement that with just regular wheat. Yeah. Yeah. Um, to kind of offset some of that. But then to me, I think, well, that's, then that's not really the style. Again, it says that the guidelines are fairly vague and say that it can be used with up to a hundred percent oak smoked wheat. It doesn't have to be. Yeah. And I've seen Grzyzki recipes that even have Pilsner 
malt in them. Oh yeah. Um, so yeah, again, like the beer style police are not going to show up you yeah. and issue a citation for it. Um, and if you're not entering competition, then it really doesn't matter as long as you like right. it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And at the end of the day, I do have a very nice beer that has a level of smokiness that I enjoy. So it's not, it's not a total loss, uh, but that's kind of where the, the inspiration for this episode came from uh, for us. And I know we talked about it in our troubleshooting, like we've both had to dump batches of beer, mm-hmm. but Sometimes what you can't fix anything, you right. know, like it depends on where the beer is. Is it fermenting still? Is it finished? Like if you're, if it's fermenting and you taste the seed to hell high, just let it keep fermenting. But right. like, you know, that comes all, that comes down to having a little bit of knowledge of fermentation. But I've, I've done things where like recently I put too much cranberry puree into secondary because um, I was making a cranberry saison and it was too much. And it just like, it's just tasted too fruity, too cranberry. Mm-hmm. It was not light enough. Luckily I had like Casey, one of our brewers had brewed a Saison and he still had half the keg on draft. And I asked him very nicely if I could, <laughs> you don't want to just take someone's beer, <laughs> but if I could blend it with this Saison so we could have a more balanced beer and it worked. It was perfect. Yes. Yeah. So Blending is it, a great way. You know, yeah. and I, I did not want to dump, you know, it was a Thanksgiving beer. We need to put on draft. Obviously we're a brewery. We're promoting it. Part of me doesn't want to dump it. It's not like I have time to make a new one. So, you know, I blended it and blending is a great way. What sour beer, if you want to take some of the sourness down, um, too much fruit, you know, if you have DMS, blending will not help. Well, maybe depends how much (laughs) you can dilute that. (laughs) (laughs) So there's different things you gotta, you gotta know, like, can this be fixed? Like if maybe if, um, you had an amber ale, that was just a little bit too malty, maybe dry hopping the F out of it could help. Yeah, Um, that's a good point. You know, so it's just maybe not, but it wouldn't hurt to try, like at least try and fix it, you know, or you just have a malty amber that you drink or you hate it and you dump it. I mean, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And that's, those are all, um, very, very good points. And, um, I know, and I, I, I will, I guess we'll talk about this right now, but generally speaking, when, and, and I, I know we have talked about this as a judge, fermentation issues are the number one thing. If a beer is flawed, if it's not quite right, it is eight times out of 10 because of fermentation issues. And I think for brewers, um, particularly home brewers, but you know, pro brewers also, I can usually tell with new brewers when they um, maybe they open and you know they're selling beer really quickly. After a few weeks, you start to get beers with diacetyl in them and fermentation problems, and you can tell that they rushed their fermentation because they needed to have beer to sell. Uh, I always me- cringe when someone's like, "Oh yeah, it's done in seven days, it's ready to go." No, it's not. Uh, it's not though. Yeah. And that's um, with fermentation, you know, the time and temperature are going to be the two biggest things. And that's also, I, I particularly get fermentation issues from a rush fermentation in homebrew competitions. And it's, it's, it's it doesn't feel good to leave somebody feedback to be like, if this had like three more days, it would have, it would have won, or, you know, it would have had a way higher score, but I can tell 
that you bottled this too soon because you needed to get it submitted. Uh, so if you are someone who is brewing beers for competitions, what I would suggest, and this is kind of a way to like fix your beer or um, prevent your beer from having a rush fermentation, uh, this is what I do if I'm like, for instance, I have a couple of beers I'm brewing for an upcoming competition is I have looked at the date for submitting what is and what is the deadline, like what's the last mm-hmm. date um, that they can receive the beers. And I go somewhere like kind of in the mid range just to give myself like it'll be postmarked in time if it, in case it doesn't get there like on the very same day. Um, but, you know, going back from that, like okay, I, you know, I probably want to have it bottled a few days ahead of time at least. Mm -hmm. And then that's going to be like, give it three weeks to ferment and condition. And then that's going to give me the day that I probably want to brew it to make sure that I have enough time for that fermentation to finish. So if you are somebody brewing it for a competition or you have a deadline, start with your deadline and work backwards and figure out what that timeline looks like, um, particularly if um, I would say also I, I force carbonate. So I keg if you bottle condition yeah. and you, yeah, you need more time for that to work. So start with your end date and work backwards and figure out what your brew day needs to be. And otherwise like it's, I get it. It's really hard, but when you're, when you're brewing, you need to give your beer time fermentation yeah. technically is finished in just you know a couple of sure. days but it's not but you got to give the yeast yeah. time to yeah. clean everything up you wouldn't want a beer like two days and after don't worry about too much time i hear so many people get wrapped around like too long like listen you don't have enough like density ratio like going on right yeah team. like you could leave your beer on that yeast for two months it's going to be fine. Right. Yes. Your beer is not going to atollicize. Eventually it will. But right. like your batch is too small. Like I, I'll, I would even worry about it in my free tanks. I, I'll, I mean, especially when I do a lager. Like, yeah. it's like, don't worry about it. Like there is too long, but you're not going to take too long. Okay. Right. Right. Yeah. And that hydrostatic pressure on your, in your five gallon carboy is not going to be enough to squish that yeast and kill yeah. it. And if you want to be safe and you're using like a Cali ale yeast, like normal, or, you know, basically any yeast, like normal gravity, you know, that doesn't have a reputation for taking a long time, just make two weeks your safe mark. Just don't even worry about it for two weeks. I do that with my big tanks. Like if I'm going a little slow, like um, I'm like, you know what? I'll just two weeks. I'll we'll VDK it and then we'll crash it. Like I know it's going to be done. Like, like right now, court. Like I have to crash one today. It's like at day eleven or ten or something, or maybe twelve. I don't know. But I need that beer. I need to transfer it tomorrow. Like I need to. But I know it will be fine. <laughs> I've dry hopped it. Like when it was supposed to be. It's been on VDK rest. I'm going to VDK it today when we're done here. Um, I need that beer to be finished. If it's not, I'm not going to fucking put it in the right tank tomorrow. I'm going to just move the candy day. (laughs) Right. Exactly. And I think that's, uh, with like with fermentation is like, yeah, you just have to give, give the beer time. It's not going to italicize in the time unless you leave it on the yeast for six months. Yeah. Uh, most people probably aren't going to do that. And if for whatever reason you can't bottle or keg it and you're worried about it, transfer it into secondary, put it into a second carboy just to get it off of the yeast. Um, And then the other thing is, you know, your temperature. If as much as you can, 
you need to be keeping your beer within whatever that fermentation range is for, for that, for that style. And with the, the yeast strain, I think it typically will say on the packet, if not, you can just go to the website and the information is right there. Like what temperature range, whatever yeast you're using on the packet and keep in mind that the internal temperature of your beer as it's fermenting is going to be a lot higher than what your ambient air is. So for instance, when um, I cool, like when I'm doing knockout on a homebrew, I will typically keep the beer toward the lower end of the temperature range just because yes. I'm not going for a lot of that ester development. But I'm also building in that buffer that if the temperature does raise higher than I'm intending it to, it's still well within that range. Yeah. So I'm not going to get all those stressed out flavors. So uh, as an example, let's say you do have something like um, Cali Ale that's like what is that like 60, like 65 to like 72 or something is yeah. kind of the recommended range. Then I'll knock out around like 64 Yeah, and know that it's going to average. It'll probably, by the end, it'll probably average out to about 65. And then we do have a, um, one of our refrigerators we've turned into a fermentation chamber. So it has like a little heater or we can keep yeah. it cooler. Um, so, you know, I'll set that at like 65, 66 and just know that, that internal temperature of the beer as it's fermenting is probably, probably is going to get up closer to 70, but it's not going to get past 72. Yeah. And so I'm not going to get those stressed out fermentation. So as much as you can try to keep your, as you're starting, as you're knocking out um, and as you're starting your fermentation, just try to keep that temperature the, like the ambient, what you can get from like, if you've got one of those little strips or something like that, or um, a thermometer, whatever, keep your ambient temperature at the lower end of that range and know that the, the beer inside is actually going to heat up quite a bit, but yeah. that way you're still within that. And that's a range. good rule of thumb for like every type of yeast. Yeah. Like every time you brew, like, and especially if you do have a uh, temp control vessel, like we specifically do that uh, like knock out at like 65 and set the tanks to 68 because the yeast really does need that extra like increase in temperature to get going and start mm-hmm. fermentation before the tank tells it to whoa chill like right. if you're pitching if you're knocking out at 70 pitch your yeast and cool your tank down to 68 you're going to have a big lag time in your fermentation start mm-hmm. because the yeast you're telling the yeast to wait you're like you're cooling it down you're saying don't start don't start yet. And then it needs to like kind of catch up. So right. Right. That's what and we do on the regular here. Yeah. And I like to, uh, and I like to liken it to, you know, like yeast, think about yeast as you're having a party at your house. And I usually say it in terms of, you know, yeast is a really good party guest because it will come, it will party, it will like tear the shit out of your house. (laughs) But if you let the yeast stay and hang out, the yeast will also clean up the mess that it's made. (laughs) And that's the same thing like on the front end is like what Rachel's saying. That's kind of like if you're having a party and you've got like the big tubs with beer in it and everything and everybody shows up and you're like, don't start drinking yet. Yeah. Wait, wait, everybody wait. Yeah. All right. I'll just sit here. Right. Exactly. <laughs> well, let's keep on uh, last couple points. Um, yeah. So I think another big thing, if you are like, let's say you're, you cleaned everything perfectly, you're adding your right oxygen, your fermentation is going well. Um, you have like, let's, you know, brew, like spices. I like spices as a good example because mm-hmm. less is more, right? 
you can always add more, but you can't take away from the beer. This is a huge Achilles heel of mine because (laughs) I always, I don't want to start with less because I'm scared that you're not going to be able to taste it. And so then inevitably every time, I don't think I've ever brewed with some sort of spice addition or fruit addition where I have not overdone it because (laughs) I want, like, I want to make sure that you can taste it. And to me, more is more. And, and have you ruined too much quote, 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 unquote, ruined beers that way? Yes. Oh yeah. Every, everyone, everyone that I touch. (laughs) That's what I I do with the cranberry puree. You know, I was just like, I was just freehand it being like, I'm a professional. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like spices are, so spices can be rough because they, I I like to put them in Whirlpool. It's great because it sanitizes the heat, sanitizes the spice. Don't have to worry about it. If I want to add more spice afterwards, I kind of have to make like a sanitized tea with it. So that can be a little rough. Um, You know, like puree is a great example. Just adds a little bit the first day taste it after a day and then add more if you want like it's going to be fine you're not going to leave the beer on the yeast or the puree too long right you know you want the yeast to reactivate and eat the sugars in that puree so when you package it you don't have a yeast bomb also do this at a fermentation temp don't crash your beer and add sugar that doesn't make any sense like i've i've heard a couple people do that i'm like I don't understand. You are just like, it's like the whole fermentation thing we were just talking about with yeast. Right. It wants to be warm. Dry hop warm. Don't dry hop at 50. Do everything at 74. Okay. On right. Your, on your VDK rest. Just everything. Right. Coffee beans. Co- you know, uh, I, okay. I will say this. Um, peppers. I really like to add pepper to beer. Sometimes people f- love it. People love it. I don't get it, but I mean, it's good. It's just like settle. You want settle. Right. So to like, if you put, so I like to do the finished beer. I'll take the finished carbonated beer. I have a pump that I kind of add like a sight glass in the middle and stuff peppers in there. I basically torpedo it. Mm-hmm. And then I stop it after 10 minutes and I try it. And if I want more, I can have more. And then if I notice that the heat is kind of all absorbed and now I'm getting like vegetable, I'll switch out the pe- peppers because I don't want vegetable, I want heat. So right, like right. start little and there's different things you can do. You really should know like what's appropriate, like spice, where that should go and where fruit should go and where pepper should go. But like just l- less is more. Trust me. Right. What I've started doing also when I'm looking at adding things like that to beer, just knowing that about myself that I always put in too much, but also being scared that I'm not going to put in enough. The, um, Radical Brewing by Randy Mosier is a fantastic resource for that because he has so much information on the how what kind of fruit you should add, how much fruit, how what kind of spices you should use, how much, um, what to avoid. But with with those with that guidance, he also says you know start with like 0.1 to like 1.25 ounces uh, per gallon. So what I do now is kind of the same with fermentation. I just go somewhere in the middle of that and think, okay, this is like, I feel like 0.1 isn't going to be enough or like you're either not going to be able to taste it or you're not going to be able to tell that it was intentional, but maybe 1.25 is going to be way too much. So just going somewhere like 0.5, 0.6, something like that, I feel like, will I feel a little bit safer staying in that mid range. Um, rather than when I first started and would be like, oh, like when I cook with garlic, if a recipe says one clove, like that's an exponent of 10. So that actually means 10 cloves of garlic. Right. So when I brew, I kind of had that. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, garlic and cheese. It's like, oh, you you said one clove, one one equals ten, and that's what I did when I was brewing, also. And so learning to kind of dial that back and be like, no, one clove means probably like half a clove. Yeah. So you know, like one and one it's hard too, because it depends what you're brewing. You brewing a big old stout, or are you brewing like a pilsner? You know, right, right. Excellent point. Effect, you know, it it is rough. Like even here. I could not tell you to this day the amount of spices that go into the harvest saison. I wait till brew day and I freehand it. I know it's a lot more cinnamon <laughs> than the rest and I cannot do it any other way because like it's, it's, it's a lot of cinnamon, but it's ginger, nutmeg and allspice and, and ginger. Yeah, no, those three. And it's like a little of each of those. And I'm using like a total of two ounces of spice for the whole three barrel batch. And it really is like, because you don't really want to know, you, you shouldn't be able to tell what the spice is unless it's cinnamon. I always say unless it's cinnamon because that's just dominant as F and right. you really, you, you know, cinnamon, but like, like rosemary, oh God, like rosemary saisons I've had before. And if you can just taste that, gross. Rosemary, it is so gross. For, I, I apologize to all the rosemary fans out there. I cannot stand rosemary. No, me neither. It is gross, but you really shouldn't be able to know what the spice is. I mean. It's okay. Like, I'm not saying like, if someone could tell what the spice is, like it's a bad beer. I'm just saying like, less is more. It should be subtle. Um, and I also, you know, I was going back to like, you know, your recipe development. I think one of the other things that I see a lot of, especially with new brewers is using a certain type of malt to get color. And in the end, it's way too much of that type of malt, caramel malt, or even biscuit malt being a really good example. Like, if you use too much of that stuff to get the SRM you want, it's going to be overly sweet. It's not going to taste good. It might not be balanced. Um, really just take a look at, you know, if, if the cho like chocolate malt, chocolate malt is, a, I use chocolate malt in my Oktoberfest just to get that little bit of color. It's, it's Munich and, v and Pilsner and like 1% chocolate malt. And that all, you don't taste chocolate. All it does is provide color. Left-hand sawtooth, a little bit of chocolate malt. Yeah. Um, I just know that because I brewed there, but um so, yeah, I think that's a really good point. Taste it. You can taste it. It's too much. And right. that's something that you can't fix at the end of your brew. Maybe you could dry hop it if you're like still in fermentation or something, but like you can't fix too much malt in your recipe. All you can do is brew it again and use less. So less is more. Think about what you're brewing. I mean, I really like if, unless it's like a really sweet, big barley wine or imperial stout, you know, think about the amount of percentage you're using in the grain bills. If you're using a recipe, a beer recipe builder, like beer Smith or something, it tells you the percentage as you put it in. Um, check, check the websites of these malts. I mean, most of them are going to be like most specialty malt. You don't use 10, more than 10%. So like, don't go like if you are up in your color because you're brewing amber ale or a red ale and you have 25% caramel malt, don't do that. Right. Just and do that. <laughs> and going back to what I was saying, like checking what the usage should be. Yeah. I know, I know, for instance, Breeze has that. I think if you're on a lot of the even just ingredient websites, oh, so yeah. something like more beer, it will say like the manufacturers will say this is recommended for no more than 20 yeah. to 25 percent. Yeah. And I specifically with the caramel malt, that is also feedback that I've left people on either your beer is under attenuated 
or you use too much caramel malt because it yeah. just because it's the way it tastes. Dairy. Yeah, yeah, and you can yeah you can just use a pinch of even black patent or something. Yeah, doesn't have to be chocolate. that color. Yes. right. Roasted barley. I mean, any really anything dark. You I mean I like to use chocolate because I like have a bunch of it <laughs> like in my storage. Right. Or you can also have a longer boil and sure. you know just start with higher volume and boil it a little bit longer to develop those colors. Uh, but yeah, I think that the the caramel malt that is an excellent point about. Uh, particularly new brewers using too much of it. Yeah, for sure. And use Carafone, people. It is a good head retention malt. Mm -hmm. Use like 15%, okay? Carafone has its own diastatic power. Um, apparently, Carapils does not. Carapils is brewed sense. by Brees. Um, Carafone is brewed by Wireman. They're both a dextrin malt. They're uh, branded. That's why they have different names. Right. But uh, so, I mean, like I've been really up in my Carafone. But those, these are just like easy ways to make like a better beer. You get better head retention. You want mm -hmm. head retention, you know, but well, we could go into that. In my um, barley oh, wine yeah. that I make, I use Cura Red and that's how I get there the go. color in my beer is just, and I don't remember what the proportion is, but it is just a little bit specifically for that color. So yeah. the products do exist out there if you're trying to adjust your color outside of using caramel malts. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's just a, you know, with real life, like Rachel and I don't hit it out of the park every single time when we brew and thinking through the ways that I've messed up beers and how you can fix them. And I think Rachel, you did a really great job of saying like, where are you in the process and where yeah. you are in the process that's big, that's big is determinant yeah. if you can fix it or not. Right. And or at what? the end of the day, especially if you're a pro brewer and you know that your beer is not up to par, don't sell it. Don't think that people won't know the difference. Just dump it. Go. And if I, you're not I, sure, ask your pro brewer friends. Right. <laughs> or your home brewer friends or whatever. Get people to taste it if you're not sure. Because yes. sometimes you you just you can't taste a certain off flavor. You it's hard to wrap you you know you don't have the experience or whatever. But right. uh, or ask us. We love talking about beer. Yeah, exactly. And um and I know that this was something that one of our, uh, somebody who listens to the podcast had said one time was, I would like to know how to fix this because, you know, I made, I think it was maybe a Saison or something, but I made a Saison and it tastes kind of cidery. I'm wondering if I didn't let it prime, you know, they, they bottle conditions. So I'm wondering if that just, if that was part of it. And, you know, she was like, I'm, I was excited to try it. So I opened it and it's not ready. And what can I do at this point? Uh, so yeah, any kind of Anything like that, you know, Rachel and I are definitely here for that. And uh, as I mentioned in our last episode, we have some really cool new things coming up that will make that even easier for you all to do um, with us specifically and with each other as listeners. Uh, so with that, I know Rachel has to uh, run a business. I have a beer to brew. Tame the people. Yes. Tame and the people. I got this cool you. water gun. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, everyone, as always, for listening. Thank you for your support. You can reach out to us anytime at False Bottom Girls on Facebook and Instagram or email us at falsebottomgirls at gmail.com. And with that, go forward and make good beer brewing decisions. And we will talk to you guys next time. This has been False Bottom Girls. And we make the brewing world go round. <laughs>